Don't worry, that's going to make sense later. What's going on? Welcome to the Doug Show. In this episode, I talked to Kyle Roof, and Kyle is an amazing SEO. He's very accomplished, and he also runs these complicated experiments. And the cool thing is, it's really hard, um, in my opinion, to run tests. And a lot of times people will ask me a question about SEO and what certain things may happen if they take certain actions. And usually, I have a general idea about the things that you could do that are good and some things that are bad and things that you shouldn't do. But I don't really have like a solid answer for many things. The cool thing with uh, what Kyle's doing is he's running experiments in a scientific way. That's one of the biggest things that I learned, how he does these tests and experiments and actually gets data, and he can be very confident in the results. So that is probably the number one thing I want you to get out of this interview. So uh, keep, keep your ears open for that. Further, I do want to mention Page Optimizer Pro. I'm an affiliate for that product, but it is a very effective tool. Um, Kyle is one of the, uh, he's the inventor of Page Optimizer Pro. And I quickly looked up the webpage so I can hit hit all the beats for what this tool actually does. So Kyle invented a method for ranking sites called the scientific on-page method. And basically what you're able to do is get a lot of information from the competitor's content so that you know the keyword density to use for certain keywords, related keywords, and that sort of thing. And if you have a look over at Page Optimizer Pro, you'll see that the testimonials are fantastic. I've had experience using similar tools and similar exercises, and I know for a fact that improving your existing content by optimizing the on-page, it works. It works pretty much 100% of the time. Now, it may not work for every single post that you uh, optimize, but generally you're going to get a very good result from using it. So you can check out Page Optimizer Pro and uh, see if you like it. I like it very much, by the way. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and get over to the interview. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and I'm sitting with Kyle Roof. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Doug. It's uh, a pleasure to have you on. We were just chatting um, beforehand, and of, of course, we have some SEO um, you know, obsessiveness that's common, but apparently we also enjoy alcohol. So what is your drink of choice, Kyle? Uh, my poison, along with Janis Joplin, is uh, Southern Comfort, okay. and uh, I'll usually drink uh, SoCo and Diet. Is a go-to, but it's a hard thing because a lot of places don't have it. So I have to ask you have SoCo, and then they do this hem and haw, and they don't have it. Then I go for a uh, a Captain Morgan's or a Sailor Jerry's, that kind of a thing. Okay, okay, yeah, I enjoy. I'm mostly a beer person, but I, you know, like many other people that enjoy alcohol, it's whatever is in front of me, and like <laughs> maybe the weather. You know, if it's a sunny day by the pool, like I may not want to have whiskey. Like maybe that's a even Coors yeah. Light. You know, I'm in the Boulder, Colorado area. So, you know, there's a lot of beer around here and Coors Light's just, you know, or Coors is just down the street in Golden. So that's the perfect recovery drink. You know, it's like people want to go for like Bloody Mary's. Give me a Coors Light at like 11 a.m. Yeah. I mean, a couple of those will get you right. Yeah. I mean, when you got to hydrate, like that is what you need to do. It is, so. it is basically water. It's water with a little, little kick. But um, are you like one of those guys that gets into like IPAs or this level of bitterness or that? Is that your, your, focus. Yeah, I got really into that. So I did some home brewing um, and like really dove in head first. Um, I wish literally that actually sounds fun now that I'm saying it out loud. But um, yeah, I got into home brewing and all sorts of beers, really love Belgian beers and became a beer judge and blah, blah, blah. So I took that to the extreme as well. So the only fancy beer I think I get into is um, this is my humble brag where I get I get to travel to Europe a lot. Um, uh, but in Germany and Bavaria, they've got a Hells, H-E-L-L-E-S. And I think that is the pinnacle of, of beardom, isn't that? And a good Hells. 
Yes, I enjoy those too. You know, I, I like all sorts of beer. So even um, like I actually have some in the refrigerator. So uh, a couple Hellas from uh, local around here. So I know people are here for SEO. So I will transition quickly to. Uh, so aside from uh, you know Southern Comfort and some other you know darker liquors, can you give your or can you give an introduction so people can get to know you a little bit here? Sure. My name is Kyle Roof. Uh, the name of the agency that I co-founded is High Voltage SEO. Now we do local to national to international to everything else in between. Uh, I, I'm at the office in Phoenix, uh, Arizona. We also have an office in Berlin. We have an office in Melbourne. We have about 16 clients. Excuse me, 16 employees, about 70 clients. Um, I am the lead tester for SIA, which is a testing group where um, I oversee and publish uh, single, mostly single variable tests on Google's algorithm. Um, and then I'm also the math and co-creator of page optimizer pro, which is an on page evaluation tool. Cool. And I just started using uh, page optimizer pro recently, pretty slick. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that probably a little bit more. I may have some questions for you on it, but, um, how did you get into SEO? As I was doing research, I saw that you have a diverse background and even a law degree. So can you tell me how you found your way into this area? It was definitely, I think, the same path that everybody takes, that A to B, right? <laughs> I started as a trial attorney, uh, and I did divorce, custody, and support in criminal defense, and I absolutely hated it. So I, um, I decided to take a year off, and I moved to South Korea, which I think is what most people do when they want to take a year off. And that one year off turned into five, and while there, I opened a business in Korea, and we needed a website. And I had done some website building in college just kind of for fun. And kind of got back into it. And it took a while because the site that we built for the company was kind of complex. And it took me a while to kind of assemble a team. And I realized, oh, hey, um, I could actually just start general contracting websites because I've got this solid team. I brought my brother involved into the company. And then we realized, you know, we got all these guys in India. What if we just moved to India and uh, open a company there and we can like watch them and we'll get more work done and the prices will be better or costs will be lower because we're not paying freelancers. So we did that. And then um, the real short version is we got raided by the police. My brother got thrown in jail. Um, they shut down our call company in, and, India. in India. And um, so my brother, who does web design and development, said, OK, I can take these four clients um, and, and service them because we, we lost all our employees. Right. They didn't want <laughs> they don't want to they didn't need to be involved in that scene with the police. Right. Uh, so we're just hemorrhaging clients. He, I, he said, I can take these four. And we had just started doing SEO. And, um, I had invested my last penny into this company and I realized that I needed to learn SEO right then and there to service those SEO clients so I could pay the rent next month. And, and that's literally what I did. Uh, like right then and there, I was like, I need to figure out this SEO thing. And, wow. and <laughs> it was, it was like a make or break situation. Crazy. So what, um, like what year was that when you went to South Korea? I went to South Korea in 2008. And then um, started doing the, this kind of work on the side, if you will, uh, 2010 or so. And then the India debacle was uh, 2012 or 2013. Okay. Wow. So that's really not that long ago. Um, not yeah, in terms of ago. SEO or in terms of a career, yeah, it's not that, not that long ago at all. But when you have to learn SEO immediately, <laughs> it really accelerates your, uh, your path. Right. And then that's what got me into testing. Um, I realized, you know, when like, hey, is this a ranking factor? And you get three answers that say yes and three that say no and three very learned answers that say maybe. And I was like, well, I think I need to figure this out on my own. And, and that's what I did through kind of refining the testing process of, of setting up uh, test environments to see if something is or is not a ranking factor or something or is not true. The other thing I, I ran into well as well is, you know, you get a recipe of 50 things and you're like, do I really have to do all 50? You know, wh- what really in here is is making things happen. And so it was really just uh, an economy of time trying to cut through what you do or don't have to do. Right. Uh, And then that's what, that's what's really then accelerated me into um, being, I guess, an SEO expert. And that, and that's really just being able to kind of cut through that noise through, through testing models and stuff like that. Okay. And to your knowledge, like, was there anyone else or is there, or do you have competitors like doing tests like this in any sort of public fashion at all? Um, obviously, it's very expensive and difficult to do. There are a few other people that are doing it. Um, when I started, though, I didn't know that. Um, and the testing that I put together was an independent thought. 
since then I've had people that want to yell at me and say like, I didn't invent science. And I understand that, you know, (laughs) I, I, I didn't invent SEO testing. Like I I don't want to make that claim, but the, the method that I put together, I independently put together. I didn't know anybody else's test. I hadn't seen anybody else's test. Um, I have since seen some, and and there are several guys that are doing a great job with it, but there, there, they are few and far between because it's not easy to do. And it's not easy to conceptualize. That's kind of the bigger problem is that when you're looking at Google's algorithm and it's so vast, how do you how do you actually run a single variable test or how can you actually put your finger on this is what that thing is? And so that's kind of been a long a lot part of the process of kind of being able to think about things the right way and putting it together in the right framework. Cool. And and it's funny because I often complain about this. You know, people will ask, um, you know, how long does it take for, I will ask you a lot of these questions in a rapid fire uh, section here in a second, but like people will ask about certain pieces, like, will this link help or how long does it take for this link to do anything? That sort of thing. And a lot of times I'm like, you know what? It's so hard for us just in, in a real world scenario because there's like so many variables involved and many of them are external anyway, and you can't even control them. So can you, talk about the approach that you take. And I imagine with your, uh, you know, logical mind and your law degree, like you were able to come at it at, at a different angle than, you know, the general sort of SEO person that has found their way into it. So can you just talk about your approach? Sure. The, the most simple way to look at it would be um, you, you optimize for a word that doesn't exist. Then you create an environment that only you control, you know, nobody else is in there. So you're, you're immediately eliminating all those extra variables. And then in the most simple setup, you'll create five pages on the same domain that are exactly the same and you'll index them all. And then on the number three page, you'll change one thing. Now we're down to one single variable. Um, people ask like, what about duplicate content? Well, if there is a duplicate content penalty, it's now applied to all five the same. Uh, anything that was, maybe there's a penalty on that domain. It's now been applied to all five pages the same. Um, the only, obviously you need a unique, uh, URL. So what I'll do is I'll put the keyword as close to the dot com as I can. And then, uh, random letter strings. So dash letter, 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 dash letter, letter, letter. Uh, and that gives you a, a unique URL, but otherwise the, the, the pages are going to be identical. Um, and then from there, if you change one thing, you've got it down to one variable. So if you want to say, is the H one a ranking factor? So you would put one H one on say number three, containing the target keyword, and then you'll see it go up. And you know that that's a, a positive factor. Um, you'll then want to run that multiple times. You want to um, get, you want to replicate these tests. And if you can do something four times to five times in a row, you're, you're inside of or just outside of um, statistical significance. But one big thing to think about is they're running it in the inverse. So that the first time we put it on the number three and we saw it go up, when, when you run it in the inverse, you'll put it on the one, two, four, and five, and then the three should drop because you've run the test the other way. And that's how we get to real confidence in what we're doing because, you know, people talk about Google could be tricking you or or something like that. They can't trick you in the inverse. You know, they can't run it. You can't run something and and get, get a a repeatable um, result in the positive and then, then also get it in the negative. And then once you've got that, then you feel pretty strongly about that. Yes, this is, or is not a ranking factor. Wow. That's like uh, dangerously simple, right? Like not easy to implement, I imagine, but like, that's so clear. Now, why do, why do you have five pages instead of just two? Um, because there is the chance that uh, if you launch two, it could just go one way or the other. You know, with by having a, a larger set, and a lot of the tests we'll run now are, are even larger than the five. You want to be able to see some movement, you know, whether that's going to be positive or negative movement. And then you don't always, the thing too, is you don't always get something that's going to shoot all the way to the top or all the way to the bottom. You know, there is a, a, a bit of... Um, I think score normalization is actually a good description of what happens. So these things are ranked and then there's a normalized score. And so you might not get above that normalized score with which, whichever factor you're looking at. So, um, you know, that you want to see, you want to gauge how much movement you can actually get. Okay. Interesting. And then for like your standard testing procedure, um, you mentioned getting, uh, to be able to repeat it. So you're applying the scientific method and, uh, it all sounds great. Right. So, how often do you try and repeat it? Um, is it that four to five times just so that you're like, all right, this seems pretty legit? Yeah, because if you had a coin flip, you know, a, a coin flip is 50-50, but a repeatable coin flip, how many times can you get heads in a row? 
Um, if you did four times in a row, it's about 6% are your chances of getting four heads in a row, you know, and statistical significance is at 5%. So when you're at that repeatable thing of four or five times, you're basically inside of uh, a statistical probability where we feel good about, yeah, we're seeing this because it's unlikely that you're going to get the same result that many times in a row. But then when you run it in the inverse and you have the same result, then we feel very, very confident in the, uh, in, in what we're looking at. Okay. Very cool. And I know you probably have some interesting results where maybe something counterintuitive happened. Is there any particular one that comes to mind where you're like, oh, we were shocked when we did this test and blah, blah, blah? Well, one, that's, a, you know, what's really interesting about it is, is the best results that you get are the ones that you aren't expecting. And the other thing, too, is I don't have a narrative with my tests. I don't, I, I'm agnostic to the result. You know, it, it's the result for the result. And I think where maybe some people get in trouble is getting married to the result. Because then it fits maybe a course that they're selling or, yeah. And, and then you get that, that confirmation bias towards uh, those sorts of things. But I think if you can take your pride out of the situation and, and just look at what the result is, then um, you can see a bad result for the good result that it actually is because it led you to another discovery. Um, it was kind of funny. We were just running a test uh, in, with some people in our group, uh, somebody that I mentor. Uh, and it was just putting um, uh, just a, a, an email uh, on the page. You know, is this a, a positive or a negative factor? And what's interesting is it keeps demoting the page. So now, it, you know, that can't be a negative factor, right? So there's something else going on there. And so now we're in the process of figuring out what could that other thing be? What is actually happening uh, on this page? You know, is it we're adding some extra code? Is it um, that it's not a real email address? Is it so like now, now we're playing with those things. So this is a, a fluid situation that's going on at this moment. Cause we're like, that's a really weird result. Is it just an anomaly, which it very well could be. So now we have to rerun it, see if we get the same anomaly and then start to hypothesize about where things may or may not have gone wrong, or if you will, right. Uh, and then we can, then we, then we make some real discoveries about what's going on in the algorithm. Interesting. Yeah. You probably run across this too, Kyle, where someone does one thing once and then they assume that that is the way it is a hundred percent of the time. And they go around maybe in Facebook groups, for example, and just like keep spreading around these sort of rumors. So yeah, it's very, uh, just to, to put a pin in it, like everyone just an N of one isn't very useful. You have to be able to repeat it. Other people should be able to repeat it. And I, I love the rigorous fashion that you guys are testing and like, you know, I guess learning, right? I mean, it's the only way. And like you said, you're, you're agnostic to the results. Like it's just, this is what happened when we did X and the results speak for themselves. Uh, you, you don't need to get angry at me for the result, yeah. you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just get angry at the result, but then we can discuss it too. And the other thing is being able to show the testing method. This is how this was tested. So maybe there's a flaw in the method and there are a lot of sharp people um, that can then review this and say, Hey, did you th consider this? Or what do you think of that? And often I'll be like, Hey, I did not think of that. That's a great idea. And then let's, let's run it back through. Actually, what I often say to people is like, can you run this? And then let's look at your results. And they, they, that's as far as they go. Yeah, Cause it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's difficult to set up. It's time consuming. Uh, it's frustrating at times and, and a lot of people just don't want to do it. So how, how long do you let a test run? Like what's the typical time frame? Well, so like if you're looking at like an on-page sort of thing, what's funny is you can get results within minutes. You know, when you re-index the pages or you resubmit them to say the search console, you can often see, especially for stronger signals, stuff within 10, 15, 20 minutes, which is remarkable. Um, usually, though, if we're looking at it, we're like, hey, we're not getting any movement here. You, you want to look, and this is real life anyway, about maybe two cache dates, which is usually maybe five to seven days when cache is working properly. So uh, maybe 14 days. If we don't get movement, then we might move on in an on-page sense. But like you're talking about with off-page, with links, the real frustrating thing is even in these small environments, it can take weeks upon weeks, um, two, three weeks, six, eight weeks. I've seen those in test environments where it just takes that long for a link to, to pass any kind of juice, even within such a small controlled uh, area. So okay. link, links take forever. Gotcha. And that's been my observation over time as well, where it used to be, you know, e even in 2013, when it sounds like you were getting into like SEO deep. Is that, is that right? 2013? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it would be like as, as a full-time gig. Yeah. Right. And it was like two or three days and you could see like what links helped. You could adjust anchor text and it was like pretty powerful to have that knowledge. Now it's my hunch and you can confirm or, you know, 
uh, disagree. Um, like Google throttled it back. So we don't know what we're doing with all these variables. We don't know what helped rankings or hurt rankings. So we can't exploit things as well as, um, marketers. So is that kind of your hunch? You could also think that things just got bigger, you know, (laughs) there's more to crawl since then exponentially more. And it just might take more time. It it is another possibility. Yeah. You know, so like, there are times where I think when there's like the, the, the fool you stuff that Google brings into play. But I think a lot of it is, is serendipity for them. Just like, Oh, we didn't realize that that would happen because it would take so long, but that's great. You know, it, it's a built in thing because it just, it takes that long to process those URLs and where they hit in the queue. And then that turns into this much time now. And now it looks like they, they turned a gauge when really it was just things got bigger, you know, stuff like that. I never, I never thought of that, but yeah, that would be a great way, um, <laughs> a great side benefit there. So, you mentioned uh, like two to three weeks, and some up to six to eight weeks for a link to show its impact, um, even in these very controlled environments for bogus words that don't even exist and stuff like that. So, is that kind of like the max uh, range that you've seen, or it, could it extend out like six months or something? Well, it could. The problem you run into is that these pages um, uh, are susceptible to updates. And then when an update happens, because they are identical, you can actually see them uh, shift. And so you are susceptible to, to those changes in, in, a, in a broad core update, which is actually a way to see if a core update has actually happened, because you can see your unused test pages move, um, which is actually kind of fun. Uh, so like you, you run into those uh, obstacles where if you let it sit that long, it is possible that it just what you saw isn't actually the, the link doing anything or whatever you were playing with doing anything. It was just an update that happened, which then gets into the real frustrating thing when you're doing links and you want to replicate them, you know, and it's something that takes four weeks. That's a long time to get something <laughs> replicated uh, again. again, especially like on test two, like you realize like, Oh my God, I made a mistake. Uh, and there went eight weeks of work. <laughs> oh man. Now how you many know? tests do you, you guys have going uh, like concurrently? Uh, well, um, I try to, I I publish 10 a month right now. Um, that's going to change shortly, but to do that, um, you gotta figure like two to three per one that it, (laughs) that actually makes it publish worthy is kind of where we're at. So let's say, and then uh, the stuff that I publish is within a group as well. So there's, there are people that help me. They're running their own tests, which is actually great because you, 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 run out of ideas. <laughs> you know, like, they're the things that I care about and those are things that I test. And then I just don't have the ideas because there are other things I don't care about. We're like, Oh, I never thought of that. So there's a group that, um, uh, that we work on these tests together. And so I, I would say minimum 20 to 30 tests are running at any time. Okay. Wow. 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 That's crazy. Just knowing the effort that it takes and the amount of time and all that stuff. So, um, very interesting. Now, like all good internet marketers, um, I imagine maybe you bumped into some penalties at some point. Do you have any good um, Google penalty stories? Well, sure. The the most famous one is when um, uh, uh, the site that I built in, in Lorem Ipsum and was ranking, and then it got published in a Search Engine Journal, and it, it was de-indexed six hours later. <laughs> uh, pure spam. Um, but what was the, the next part of that though, is that that night when I woke up the next morning between like one fifteen and one twenty-seven AM, I think it was like 22 of my test sites were de-indexed and these sites weren't linking to that, uh, to that, uh, competition site. They were all on their own and it was just purely punitive. So what I did was I actually did reconsideration requests on those sites and <laughs> they got shot down. So the first one I wrote back and I was like, Hey, this site is not optimized for any keyword that anybody else is optimizing for or bidding on in AdWords. It cannot be spam because it's not filling up any space that somebody else wants. And they denied that. So then I took the whole site down and just left the 2012 template up and reconsidered and they denied that. And then I put up one page and it was just a paragraph that said, this is my personal site. Uh, This is clearly unique content as as I'm writing this one paragraph right now, just stream of consciousness. You know, this can't be anywhere else on the Internet. And I did that and they denied it as well. So then I realized that was just punitive at that point. They were they were specifically taking down my sites for, I guess, punishment for showing how the algorithm works through the other site. So like um, 
were they in the same? Because like I had a penalty, um, and it was a similar thing where one one site I was doing something wrong, and then everything else in my you know I had them all in the same search console area, which I know that's an easy way to link them up. So in, in that case, were they in the same like analytics zone or something like that? So they there were some crosses here and there, but I mean they were all. Um on different IPs, they all had one of five different hosts that I use. Um, some had domain privacy, some didn't. Some had GA, some didn't. Some were in the same search console, but most weren't because most had their own Gmail. So they were all pretty spread out. And they really, with a handful, a couple linked to each other just for some test purposes, but otherwise they were separated. Um, so I don't really know. I think it was probably at the registrar level because they all were registered uh, in the same spot. And I know that Google clearly has access to that information. Sure. And I think they could have just looked at all my domains and said, let's knock out these 20. Interesting. <laughs> that's my best guess. Oh, man. That's a, that's a bummer. <laughs> that's a bummer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a cool story just in general. Um, Google, the, the spam team, they read Search Engine Journal, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> they also, I always have a good time thinking that there's some schlub uh, in Mountain View, and my, his job for two days was me. <laughs> like, oh, <you> know? <laughs> man. No kidding. <laughs> as, as he's just typing away, trying to figure out my stuff. That's pretty funny. And do you, um, just curious, like, um, imagining that, like, do you have any, uh, and if you if you can't answer this, okay, do you know anyone, like, in, in Google or anything like that? No, no, I, I don't know anyone, so. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. Um, I think they know me. But yeah. I don't know <laughs> they they know of you. So as far as like like other gray hat um, activities and stuff like that, um, are there certain things that uh, or actually I don't know. Do you do any gray hat stuff or can you mention that or like what's your approach? Like whatever works and what's effective or. Well, I don't really know what what is black or white or gray. I guess that kind of depends on what you think it is. Sure. Uh, or like, or the, or like the person that himself, not you, but the editorial you, you know, it, it's more of a, a personal choice on what you want to do. But, you know, I, I still think on page does most of the heavy lifting and that's where my focus is going to be and building good internal link structure on your own site. And I don't think, unless you're cloaking stuff, I don't really think there's a way to do black on page. I mean, if you're presenting the words, these are the words and you're allowed to link between pages in your own sites. So that's the majority of what I do. And that, that gets me, uh, uh, I think a long way Yeah, on our, in our agency, we do have a, a full-time link builder. Uh, we are looking for PR opportunities. If you like the word PR, if you don't like that word, then guest posts, um, looking for opportunities to get client names out there and on the web and stuff like that. And so depending on where you think that hits the, the scale is, is, sure. is where we are. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I, I mean, I run across people who they're like, well, if you're, doing guest posts, even if they're like legit, like good, great sites, they're like, well, if you're doing it for the link, you know, if that's your intention internally, but like exactly what you're trying to do. But what if I just want to get the name of my company out and they link? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, you know, a great, what if I convinced myself that that's what I really want? (laughs) Yeah. I just want to do some promotion. So, okay. That's cool to, to get out of the way. Um, and for on page. So I am very interested in the internal link building uh, sort of principles that you adopt. Um, there was a stretch where I was like, uh, maybe these silos are really important. And what I took away from it is the intentional linking is really good, but maybe not necessarily the, you know, page parent child structure. Maybe that's not so important, but maybe it's just the internal linking. So um, what, what's your approach in what can you share? Yeah, sure. So I don't do um, physical silos, as you just described, a parent and child is a, is a physical silo. I will do a virtual silo. Um, and in that sense, you know, the URL structure doesn't really matter. Um, it's the links they're putting in the body. So I'll have my target page and then I'm going to pick out pages on the site that are uh, relevant to that and intentionally link uh, from those supporting pages or posts, and it doesn't matter what they are, to your target page. And then they're only going to link to each other in the body as well. And that's also a very intentional choice that um, you're supporting for one silo. These are my supporting pages. They all link to each other, and they link to this target page, but they don't link anywhere else. 
And so I'm making a very conscious choice that these things are related to that. And what I'll often do within those supporting pages or posts is we're looking at um, uh, uh, questions from like people also ask, uh, answer the public niche forums, because if somebody's put that question out there, it's, it's, it's information they want about your thing. And so you can answer that question. Often you can win those terms just by putting them in the H1 and the meta title as the question. You know, an example that I give, you know, if you're selling, um, we have a New Zealand ski package thing that we used to do. Uh, you know, what's the weather like in New Zealand in August? You know, that's, that's, so that's the kind of question that people are asking. And then we can write a post about it and it's just good information. And then people actually like to link to it because you're just providing good information. But now what they don't know is that that's part of my silo. So it's linking to my target page and it's linking to my other uh, supporting pages and the whole silo juices itself up through that type of outreach. Now, if you want to do an infographic, you want to do a, uh, a YouTube, uh, whatever, those all get embedded into your silo as you're supporting content. So when people then link to it or they get, they source attributed, it's sourcing into your silo. And then you don't have to worry about getting links directly to your target page. Because if you're trying to get links to a target page where you're selling a product or a service, nobody's going to want to link to that. Now, why would they? But they will link to an infographic that has great information. They will link to what is the weather like. You know, the, They will link to information on prices or normal things for whatever your niche is. And that's all the information that can go into your silo. Okay. So that's, that's how I do it. Perfect. That's great information. Um, mine was more haphazard. So it's, it's good to know that approach. Now, um, for like a cluster of content, we'll call it, um, is, is yeah. that the term you use? Is that? that that's just fine. We call so, them supporting pages or posts, but is it relevant things to your target, to your target page? Okay. Is there but, not, like, but not using that keyword again and again though. So okay. like whatever your target keyword is, that, that, that's on your main page. That's what you've optimized that page for. These are then questions that people would ask around that. Okay. So it's like the same audience would be interested in all of those, that sort of idea. Okay. That's right. And then the internal links that you're doing between those, uh, say, supporting pages or posts just could look like what would be a next or previous you know, to the user because this is more information they might be interested in. Perfect. And is there sort of a minimum number of those supporting articles that you would go for? I assume there's no maximum if you yeah. can find tons, but we always like to look in terms of groupings of three to three to five. You know, if, if you're doing projects on a monthly basis, you know, that's a that's a number that's manageable. Okay. Often. So something in there. So we'll try to do in kind of in those little groupings as we're building out a campaign for a client. Okay. And then as far as um other internal links going to those um, supporting pages or even the pages which you're trying to rank, um, how do you approach like those links? Um, so for the silos, I'm trying to be very intentional. Like, you know, these supporting pages are only linking to this target page within the body, the menu and the footer. That's, that's fine. That's normal website stuff. Um, but those intentional links, the only time I would really link to another, say, supporting post or page would be, you know what, that's actually now turned into a top level page. It's turned into its own primary. That might not have been what we were building out initially, but oh man, that really, that actually turns out to be getting a lot of traffic. So then we actually might build a silo for it. You know, and then it gets its own supporting pages and, and internal linking and stuff like that. Got it. Okay. Super interesting. Um, and then I assume, was this one of the tests that you like executed or did you develop it and then just saw that it worked like pretty readily and you're like, all right, this works. This was one of the things where you're like, hey, this seems to be working. Let's see if we can refine it in a test environment. And so refining uh, internal link methods, you know, for, for what we're trying to accomplish. Gotcha. And that, that's, that's kind of then what's come out to the, the silos that we use in our agency. All right. And then as far as, and I'm not sure if you would know this right off the top of your head, but like, um, if like, I guess how, how, uh, how much less effective would it be if you have some other links, um, like going out to other posts and you don't silo it so well? Well, there is link, you know, leakage. You know, so like uh, if you have a, a particular page and it's linking to five things, it, you are diluting uh, that the the link that it, the, the juice that it could be passing. So that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, hey, this is relevant content. So when Google comes in and crawls and it gets into the silo, where it's going is just into relevancy. You know, so if I'm linking out, you know, the example that I, I used to teach is like if I'm writing a page about how to make tacos. You know, I might have hard shell tacos and soft shell tacos. But then as soon as I start talking about enchiladas, like that's a whole other thing, you know, and it shouldn't be on that page. And that'd be the same thing too for your supporting articles and where you're linking out. 
you know, you should be linking to stuff about how to make tacos, not how to then roll an enchilada or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so you, you want to cluster. So the links just should make sense uh, in your site, which, whichever way they're going. And you can almost create silos and you can repurpose content that already exists on your site uh, into these silos. So you don't have to necessarily go out and make brand new content. It's just being conscious about how you're linking okay. to, to relevant things within your own site. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes total sense. I definitely need to clean up a few things because I have some, I would say, haphazard at best, <laughs> like links just going out all over the place. So if, and I'm not sure if there's a, a good way to answer this question, but like if someone doesn't really have much of an internal link structure, I will often just tell them, Hey, just link everywhere. Like it's probably going to help things since you have nothing in place, but <laughs> just take a shotgun approach. Just, yeah. Like just yeah, get, you might get lucky. There. Yeah. Um, but like what, what sort of an impact like could someone expect um, if they like focus and they, maybe they do have existing content. They just didn't uh, link it together and they have supporting content and they didn't do any intentional linking. What kind of impact can, can someone expect? Well, in the, when we started doing this, um, we had a client in 2015, 2014, they were, um, uh, in one of those niches where there, there's like 10 clicks. <laughs> and if we can get a hold of one of those clicks, that could be millions of dollars. And um, they had like four years of blog content that was just fantastic. I mean, just these beautifully written pieces, just really, really well done. But they, like most people, just had them sitting in the blog, you know, doing nothing. So they had 10, let's call them uh, 10 like uh, target pages, you know, for the different categories of things or services that they sold. So we just went through and repurposed the existing things. Okay, these five are going to link to that page and these seven are going to that one and these two over here because it just made sense. That's what they were writing about. But we took them from, you know, page five plus to page one and two for all their target pages in a matter of weeks just by redoing those internal links. They then fired us because we didn't do anything. They're like, well, you got us to page one, but you didn't do anything. Like, what are you talking about? We, we put this whole thing together. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what was great, too, is their site had, you know, whatever metric you like. Uh, their DA and PAs were ones or zeros or TFCFs or zeros. I don't think we were using Ahrefs at the time. Um, but you know, like all their metrics were nothing. It was, this was just the internal link juice passage between, um, between their site and, and putting just relevant little silos together. Okay. Interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I really need to get on it. So, um, for my, this is like a mini little, um, con- free consulting thing for me. Cause I can just ask <laughs> questions about myself. So little, fire away, little fire trick. Away. Um, you didn't know that Kyle. So, um, Wait, is this even being recorded? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot, I forgot to hit it. So, like, um, I imagine, like most things um, that seem overwhelming, you just have to take a bite-sized piece and, um, you know, eat the elephant or whatever. So, let's say I have, like, 200 blog posts and it's kind of not categorized well and I need to go through and just um, probably look at the site map, get all the URLs, sort of organize them together and then group them and subgroup them and then do the interlinking in an intentional way. Is that pretty much the strategy one needs to do? Exactly. The only thing you might want to throw on top of that is you can run those uh, pages through whatever metrics you like and you can find the stronger ones and you can prioritize that way. So people will have linked to, they will have different varying, varying levels of strength. So whichever metrics you like, just kind of run them through that. And then you can, that can help you prioritize like which ones should be, we be focusing on. Okay. Very good. And that, brings me to sort of a related topic of like um, cleaning up content again you know let's say you got a couple hundred blog posts over time some of them get like no traffic maybe they're just bad content or they're not relevant anymore have you gone through an exercise or have any client case study stories where you've deleted x amount of content or redirected and then great things happened i'm not a huge fan of that i know people talk about it um but the people that I've heard talk about it all have mammoth sites. You know, like I heard Moz talking about you know, last year that they went through a whole pruning and they went up. Brian Dean talks about doing that. You know, he only has 40 pages on his site or something like that. But those sites have, what do you think Moz gets a month in visits? 100,000? 200,000? More? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Even Brian Dean, I'm sure he's getting 100,000 a month. So easy, right? Um, I haven't seen that work for the, the average Joe site. You know, where average Joe maybe has a thousand pages and, you know, then some aren't getting traffic and then prunes them. I haven't seen that success. So 
I would be very hesitant if I were Joe to, to do that. I would repurpose them into silos you know, is, is what I would do with them. Um, I'm really hesitant to kill pages off of on sites. Okay, cool. You know what? You're one of the few, like I've, I've only heard some people talk about case studies and generally it's like what you're talking about, all exception cases. So it's really hard to draw anything from it without. And that's not to say that it's not working. I, sure. I just, I don't know. And I really get twitchy about killing content. That's not something yeah. you can test easily. Right. No, it isn't. <laughs> I, I did have a, a client site that did that where they shifted. Um, they had all this user generated content um, with people logging in and then showing pictures of, of stuff that they were interested in. And they decided to move all that to a subdomain. Well, they instantly lost about 40 percent of their traffic because they actually didn't realize how much traffic those things were getting. But then when they could even source attribute, um, they realized that they lost all their other tra- traffic that was going down as well. And what we surmise is they lost all that internal linking. You know, so like, so somebody's sharing their photos and, and they've got that. So somebody's going to that page and then people are linking out and going to, to different stuff. And they, I think they lost a lot of internal linking and kind of lost uh, some power and juice that they'd built up on these, you know, nothing pages that were only getting a click or two uh, a day. Interesting. Okay. I'll have to be careful with that then as I'm looking at all this stuff and maybe just repurpose stuff to, uh, to the I, mean, there's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with repurposing first and then deciding to prune after you've done that kind of categorization and figuring out what those, what they are anyway. Cause I, I, I can just see people just hitting delete and not really taking time to evaluate those pages and just really harming themselves and not realizing it. Gotcha. Now moving on um, to like on page optimization and I guess some of the mistakes that people make. Um, one, one of the things that I've, <laughs> I've seen is like, I, I like to do like fairly advanced keyword research, um, or at least I, I think it's advanced. And then um, I'm sure that it's <laughs> thanks. <laughs> like, uh, and then some other folks will try to do some of this advanced keyword research, right? And then uh-huh. they use a, a very popular plugin, like the Yoast SEO plugin. And then they're they're taking the like the guidelines from of this. I would say a tool for the masses, right? The Yoast SEO plugin is fine for general people, but if you're doing advanced stuff, you probably shouldn't listen to a basic tool. So a lot of people maybe over-optimize keywords and stuff because they're trying to use it too many times and that sort of thing. So what, what are some of the big mistakes that you see out there? Um, if I can speak to the Yoast for a second, uh, I don't know how many times somebody has said, well, I've got green dots. You know? I've got the green dots. My SEO is done, but I'm not ranking. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Now, the thing about Yoast, which is it's, it has so many awesome features and it's a, it's a very powerful tool, but to what you said, it's giving you generalized advice. And we all know that um, what you need to do changes keyword to keyword, and, and it can't give that keyword specific advice. So uh, until they get to that point, you, it's, it's a nice general rule of thumb or a heuristic to use, but it's not the kind of thing that I think is going to drive you. Uh, it, it's not going to get you all the juice that you can get out of just your on page. You know, just by following that generalized advice. Um, but to mistakes, one thing that we made in our agency was, and, and everybody does this, is that we were giving ranking reports on specific keywords. And this kind of ties into what you're talking about, your advanced uh, keyword research. You, what you begin to realize is a single page will rank for hundreds or thousands of keywords. A, a successful page is ranked for thousands, but you don't have those thousands of keywords on there. How does that happen? And it happens because you properly optimize for a primary keyword. So something that you want to think about is when you're deciding on, okay, I want this keyword, you should also look at what we, what we call the cluster, those secondary keywords that you can win by properly optimizing for that top-level phrase. Because what happens is that sometimes you look at the cluster and you can get the, a good feel for those from Google Trends and related searches. So if you put in your keyword, you can scroll to the bottom and look at the, the related searches, and those are terms that you can win by properly optimizing for that primary keyword. Sometimes they, go in, uh, they take a left turn. You know, like, so this is my phrase, but this cluster really isn't what I want. So if you win that, you're going to get a lot of traffic from those, and it might not be the traffic that's going to convert. One other thing to think about is sometimes you might not win that primary, but you can win the secondary. So if you ran the secondaries through um, the whatever tools you like to use for difficulty and, and volume and, and stuff like that, what you need to do, you might realize that this is a really easy cluster to win. So if I optimize for that primary, I can win these, and I can get my traffic out of those and, it's not, and I don't have to build out an individual page for each one of those things because they're secondary to that primary. So missing that concept, I think, is, is, is a big mistake. 
so when you're doing that advanced keyword research, make sure to look at the cluster and then uh, you can make decisions, uh, much more broad decisions on like, okay, we like this keyword, but we're going to get that whole cluster. But then giving that keyword report, you know, you're only going to give that keyword report or that ranking board on that primary, but that's not telling you what the cluster is doing. You know, so like, you know, the client freaks out because you were at number four and now you're at number five. Well, so what? Like, what did the cluster do? Maybe the cluster all went up. So the next thing on that is once you get that concept on keyword research, then I think if you go to um, page level performance. So this is the page that we optimize for this primary keyword. How is that page performing? Did its impressions go up? Did its cumulative rank go up or down? And actually, cumulative rank going down is a good thing because that often means you're picking up more queries. A healthy page is growing in its queries. You can see that within Search Console. So something you want to benchmark when you start optimizing an existing page, how many keywords is it, is it currently ranking for in Search Console? It might be 100. And then you start to do some work, and you'll see actually the average cumulative rank go down for that page, but you picked up 400 keywords. So you have a page that's exploding. Now your impressions are going up. Your clicks, presumably, are going up. So if you look at page-level performance with a mind towards that cluster, and then you benchmark that. So then when a client can see, like, hey, we really didn't have a great month, well, let's look at where we came from. You know, and you can see that we've actually increased this page a thousandfold because we're looking at this entire page and, and all the keywords that we're winning. Um, those are mistakes that people make as well. They don't benchmark their originally or they benchmark just on the keyword rank of that primary keyword and they're missing the entire page performance. Interesting. Yeah. I I didn't even think of that, but I have a couple um, pages that I've recently optimized, um, all on page, by the way. And literally exactly what you said. Like I saw, um, like on Ahrefs or some rush or whatever tool, um, I happen to be looking at, yeah, tons more keywords that it's ranking for. Of course, search console gives you that data too, but like, and then, uh, you know, maybe the traffic is just barely moving up, but I imagine over time, especially with continued optimization, maybe some links, maybe some smarter internal links, um, like those could continue to move up. So exactly. And you might even see your click-through rate go down. How's our click-through rate possible? It's because you're getting more impressions. You're getting more impressions and they're a little bit deeper. So, you know, the CTR on page three probably isn't that great, but now you're actually kind of picking up some of those impressions because you're now ranking for more keywords. This, this is a healthy page. Healthy pages, their, their cumulative rank often goes down before it goes up. Their click-through rate goes down before it goes up because then as the cluster starts to rank higher, but that can take a lot longer to see in the aggregate. And in the short term, those numbers look like they're going in the wrong direction, but really it's a healthy page because you're picking up more queries. Got it. So uh, shifting slightly to uh, Page Optimizer Pro, like obviously it's a, a useful tool. It's hard to get that sort of data. In the past, I would perhaps pull reports from whatever tools that I could, get some data from the search console and try to put in some extra keywords and that sort of thing. But can you just explain what Page Optimizer Pro is for someone who hasn't used it before and sort of the value that one gets from it? It runs under the theory that the secret is hiding in plain sight. Google is showing you the sites that it likes, and it's going to like some of these sites for their on-page. You know, really, there are three reasons that Google likes a site. It's on-page, it's off-page, or a combination of the two. So what we want to do, and you should be doing this, I think this is how you should be doing your SEO. These are the pages that are getting points for their on-page. Now, are they perfect? No. You know, but are they getting points? Yes. These are the ones they're getting for their off-page. And then the idea is that if you could just follow that roadmap between those two, you are going to rank well for just about any keyword you want to go after. Now that, that roadmap is then given to you. So what POP does, what Page Optimizer Pro does, is it does that on-page portion. So you put in your competitors. So you have to evaluate, you have to look at your competitors, and we do give you some guidance on that. So that is probably the hardest part of the tool. You do need to look at your competitors and see like, okay, these guys are doing some on-page. You put them into the tool, and then what the tool will do is it'll make recommendations against your content on what you need to do to follow that roadmap. It'll give you that roadmap to follow is really the basic idea. Cool. And then, um, uh, like you said before, if someone makes some on-page on-page changes and updates in a smart way with data behind it, then you potentially could get um, results in a few days or a couple weeks. Like you're pretty certain yeah. like, hey, this worked or this didn't work, right? That's exactly right. Um, so if you have an existing page, you should read the best practices because the best practices, I didn't write them for my own health. I think some people think that I did for some reason. <laughs> but um, let's say the tool tells you to decrease. Well, you want to do that last. You want to do all your decreases last because that's the biggest risk in SEO is actually removing usage. 
Um, so you want to do all your increases first. Uh, you want to, the tool or, organizes um, the signals almost by strength, almost exactly. They're, they're just for convenient purposes, but most of it. So you want to start at the top and work your way down. And you want to do changes in small bunches so that you can actually watch how those. So, you know, we talked about, you know, one to two cash dates. That's a good rule to follow. You know, you make some changes. Let's wait 10 days. Let's wait 14 days. Let's see if we get any movement. Let's see if we get moving up or down. And an on-page, after 14 days, if you had downward movement, it's probably something you want to undo. You know, so, like, you, you want to keep an eye on that. But if you did, say, 50 changes at once, you're not going to know what may or may not have caused that. So you want to do small changes, do the most impactful things first, and do all your increases first. And if you follow those um, kind of guidelines, most of the time you're going to go up when you do your on-page. Okay. Very cool. And, and by the way, I like um, for people that don't know – um, there, like you said, there's like a, a usage guide. What, what is it called? The, the, uh, just best practices, best practices. So, yeah. um, I actually like, make you check a box that says that I've read that, but I know that everybody just checks the box and clicks. I know. Apply. I was like, man, there's so much here, but I like my main takeaway yeah. was like the important thing that you just mentioned where it's like, do the stuff at the top at first and then be, be yeah. sure that you add before you subtract. It's a huge, important point. Unless you look at it, because sometimes you get into a page and it's like, whoa, we are off. <laughs> but right. the, the pages that have the most success um, reducing, like even in like reducing word count, you know, you get into it and you realize like, oh, wow, we've got 4,000 pages, but 4,000 words, but everybody else only has 1,000 um, pages that are really old, two to three years when people kind of circle back like, you know, that page never did what I thought it was going to do. And then they do those types of things. Those are the ones that are most successful with decreasing or reducing or kind of older established pages. So if you have a newer kind of page, I would be very hesitant to, to do any kind of reducing out of the gate. Okay. Very cool. So we're coming up towards the end here. Um, and I, I know you weren't feeling well today, so I appreciate you taking the time. Um, now this got me going. I feel great now. I know. Well, you have a couple, uh, Coors lights for hydration it's here. Well, it's almost noon there, so you should be in good shape. You're 30. So, uh, I, it's cool that we, we both enjoy the alcohol. So that's nice. Uh, many things in common. Now, before, before we finish up, um, for people that are maybe just getting started or they have a site and it's not, it's not quite taking off how they expected. Maybe they see success stories and they're like, Oh, why can't I do that? Do you have any tips for people who are maybe on the, on the front end of the steep learning curve of SEO here? Yeah. What I find is most people get stuck by reading what all the experts say to do and not actually doing. So you, you can't fail, fail fast, fail faster simply by putting content out there. So the more content you can put out and the more things you can try with that content, the, the quicker you will learn. So I think uh, the big thing is, is don't not, I have this guy who's been pinging me probably for three years now and I don't think he's built his site. And he's like, Hey, I saw that I should do this or that. And I'll give an opinion like, yeah, I would lean this way, but whatever. But he's, he's bought all the courses, he's listened to all the people, he's watched all the podcasts, and he just can't get out the gate. So if you have a site, you're already winning. Just do it. Now, let's say you don't have a site yet and you don't know what to do. Just do something you love because if you're going to do the writing, you're gonna, if you can write about something that you like, it's going to be easier for you to produce this content. So fail faster would be my, my biggest tip. And then um, shamelessly plugging my tool, but I don't care if you use my tool or not. You, I would get into the free trial and then look at the signals that are in there and then use grab a tool like Cora. I don't know if you're familiar with Cora. Um, grab a tool like that and look at the signals that are in there. If you learned the, say the top 50 signals between those two tools, you're probably in the top 500 and of all SEOs in the world just by understanding what those things are. So when, when the tool says, Hey, add this to this area, look at that signal area, figure out what it is and then go look at your competitors and see what they're doing. If you can do that work, um, you, you will instantly do better SEO because these tools aren't pulling these things out just for fun. You know, so if you can learn those signal areas, learn what they actually mean in a website and then how to tweak those areas. You know, what are open graph? You, you may or may not know, you know, how do you find that in the source code? Then how do you tweak it? How do you do this or that to it? Do I even need to do that? If you can answer those types of questions and these types of tools that give you those signal areas, if you learn what those things are and how to do them, I think that'll accelerate your SEO knowledge very quickly. Awesome. I love it, Kyle. I mean, it's all about taking action and, and, um, you know, intentionally trying to get better. So I know a lot, I run into the same sort of thing where people endlessly do research to launch in a perfect way. 
and it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. So just do anything. The page that doesn't exist can't rank. Yeah, that's uh, that's know? deep. That's like a Zen kind of thing. There it is. Yeah, wow. but uh, probably because I'm sober at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just get it, get it going. You know, just put a page out there and then and then do it. You know, that's that's the best way to learn. Awesome. So I will put links to everything, but where do you want people to find you? I know you're, you're across the web all over the place, but where's, where's the number one place you want to send people? Um, right now go to page optimizer pro, because if I'm not on the live support, I'm nearby. And so like, if people have questions about SEO, I'm happy to do that. We have a support group called the Cora pop support group and it's in Skype, but we're actually going to move off of Skype in two weeks and I'll be in a, it'll be in a forum, uh, platform that we're building where I'm very accessible there. So if you get into pop, uh, we'll make announcements there and then you can kind of get into, and it'll be a free group where people can come in and ask questions and then just about SEO in general too. Sweet. That's awesome. I'll, I'll make sure to put links for everything for everyone to find easily. And thanks again, Kyle. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Kyle Roof. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to having a drink with you sometime, Kyle. I I do enjoy whiskey of all forms. And I don't love the PD stuff as much. But as I mentioned when we were first chatting, buddy, I will drink whatever is in front of me just about. So sometime, man, sometime. Anyway. For the rest of the folks out there, I appreciate you having a listen, and I do encourage you to check out some of Kyle's speaking, um, like he's a speaker at conferences and stuff. So if you head over to YouTube, and I'll try and find some uh, links so I can put in the show notes and stuff, but super smart guy, and it's really cool to hear stories from people that took like a weird route to get to SEO. Like it seems like almost everyone, right? There's not too many people who just, I guess maybe it's more common now, but all of a sudden you just show up as an SEO. Usually we have some, uh, you know, a checkered past. I'll put it that way. Anyway, it's pretty cool to connect with people. And I am amazed as I am, you know, doing this podcast. I just wanted to be able to talk freely and not have so much of the analytics available like on YouTube. If you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, go back to episode 50. I give a bit of a state of the podcast mention, but one of the cool things with a podcast is it could be, you know, a 15-minute episode or it can be a 3-hour episode. People like short episodes, some other people like long ones, and you could kind of be long-winded much like I am right now. The super cool part is I have a, what I consider a very modest, extremely modest podcast. I I don't get a ton of listens. However, people want to talk to me. So it feels a little weird um, because maybe maybe I'm doing more than I actually feel like I'm doing, which maybe that's just my, maybe that's just my own internal hang up or something like that. But like Kyle's team reached out to me like, Hey, do you want to uh, interview Kyle? Maybe you guys can have a chat or something like that. And I was like, sure. I looked up Kyle and I was like, he wants to talk to me. I'm just doing, I mean, it's the Doug show, right? Like I'm mainly just talking about my own stuff and myself most of the time. I mean, some episodes are literally just me talking about myself, but People listen, and I love it. Thank you for doing that. And I'm sure some other folks are like, enough, Doug. This is so self-indulgent, buddy. But we're just sitting here having a beer on a Friday afternoon. So anyway, I will hit a couple questions here. I'm going to pause quickly so I can look them up. By the way, you can ask questions too. So send an email to feedback at doug.show, or you can even leave a voicemail. So in the show notes here, you'll see a a phone number. You can leave a voicemail there. I won't answer it directly, but I will see that it comes in and I'll play it on the air. So definitely if you want to, you know, get a shout out, you can leave a message. So I've hopped over to YouTube to look at some comments because there are so many questions over there. Some of them aren't great, you know. Sometimes people just need to use Google and look it up. 
but sometimes there's a decent one out there. So this one's from Manzur Khan. I appreciate the comment, buddy. You say, uh, great videos. I want to ask if you can answer. Um, I will be thankful. All right. I like the polite nature, Manzur. I really appreciate that. And you say, how much or how many articles will generate a revenue of $1,000 if I rank keywords to the first position using the keyword golden ratio method? He says, I know this is a kind of an awkward question, but I just want to assume. So yes, you are right. That is a very difficult question to answer because my experience tells me that I know that one article can rank number one and bring in well over $1,000. So technically, if we are literal, which I'm pretty sure means or that's not really what you were getting at, but if you're literal, if I am literal with your question, it would only take one article uh, ranking number one, but it depends on a variety of factors like the search volume for that term. It depends on the price of the product and a number of other factors, which I'm sure you're aware of. So it's really hard to really answer that in an accurate way. However, based on what I know from many students of mine from Five Figure Niche Site, I do know that I've I've seen a few students hit that $1,000 per month mark. I think that's what you're asking. $1,000 per month with anywhere from 25 articles to around 100 or so. And there are many, many factors involved, like the age of the site, the quality of the content, the number of backlinks, and that sort of thing. Now, the other data point that I could add in here to make it even more confusing and maybe less helpful is I had a site I was working with a friend on you can get all the details over at, uh, it's called Project Go White Hat. So if you Google, just Google Project Go White Hat, you should find about a 13-part guest, uh, or not guest posting, but a 13-part series, blog series on this whole story. And basically, we had a site with about 45 posts or so, and it was making $10,000 per month pretty consistently. We started adding more backlinks. We started using the keyword golden ratio and we improved content using the RPM research paper method and the FAQ method. Again, all this stuff, just Google this stuff. You'll find tons of information on niche site project, maybe a few videos as well. By using those uh, methods, the keyword golden ratio, FAQ, RPM, doing guest posting, we were able to boost the revenue from 10,000 per month to um, 30,000 in December of, this was 2016. So times are a little bit different, but I mean, you can't really argue. I think it was like $32,000 or something like that in December of 2016. We later sold the site in like mid 2017. And that is the whole story with Project Go White Hat. The point is we were making a lot, like 10K per month with only 45 posts. Now, you may, you may know people with 45 posts and they're making, you know, 30 bucks a month, or you may know people with like 500 posts and they're making, you know, $500 a month or whatever. So it's like comparing apples and oranges with some kind of other thing that's not a fruit, maybe some kind of, you know, hyena or something like that. It's like comparing an apple to a hyena. Like it, it doesn't make sense and it's hard to really get some good information from it. Now, I will try and help you a little bit. And my advice is to get started, start taking action. And once you're on a path moving forward, you will have more clarity. You'll have a different perspective, literally. You'll have a different point of view and you'll have more information. So I would recommend that you maybe start out and you're like, hey, I'm going to get 25 to 30 posts out there following the keyword golden ratio. And then I'm going to see where where they land. I'm going to see how much money I'm making with those. Maybe you start building some backlinks and you realize, you know what, one or two of these posts are really doing well. I'm going to go back and improve those. So you improve those, maybe build a few more backlinks, and then you see, okay, some other posts are doing well. You take the same method, the same methodical approach to improve that content. Maybe you get some more backlinks. Then maybe you're thinking, okay, 
I'm going to add more content. I'm going to add 25 to 30 more posts and take it from there. And again, once you get once you get moving forward, you're going to have a lot more clarity about what's working, what you enjoy doing, and kind of what you need to do in the future. So the answer to your question, to make $1,000 per month, how many articles do you need? Well, you just need one if it's the right one, if you can rank it number one. If it's not the right one and you're taking more of a volume type approach where you're publishing a lot of content, maybe you need, uh, you know, like 50 or 100 of them. But there's no, like you don't have, like if someone tells you you needed to X number of posts, there's a lot of, there's a lot of assumptions that they're making and you need to probably make your own assumptions. I mean, that's kind of what you were trying to do. Like how much content do I need to publish here and that sort of thing. So take it in bite-sized pieces. Don't think, hey, I need to publish 300 posts because Doug said, or some other person said they published 300 posts and here's what happened. It's really hard to copy someone exactly and get exactly the same results, especially in SEO. There's way too many variables out there. There's way too many things going on, probably some randomness that we don't even know about. So anyway, I will leave it at that. I will finish the rest of my beer here. Everybody have a good rest of your day or afternoon, and I will catch you on the next one. Before I sign off all the way, I just want to mention that if you're not on the Niche Site Project email list, you should check it out. I send all my templates to you. So basically everything I'm using to run my business, I send all of that out. And there's lots of free stuff in there. There's tons of information. So you should check it out. It's free. Just go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email, and you're good to go. So have a great day.